Are your priorities straight? There was a couple from Atlanta who loved going to Broadway shows. This is a true story. And they found out about a special re-release of My Fair Lady on Broadway in New York City. So eight to ten months in advance, they planned their whole vacation around going to this special re-release of My Fair Lady on Broadway. They bought excellent tickets, four or five rows from the front. And when they got to finally that day that they had been looking for, they arrived very, very early. They got their seats, and as they looked around at the, the beautiful theater, the auditorium quickly filled up until every single seat in the house was filled. Except the one seated, the one seat next to the husband. Just before the show was about to begin, the husband looked over at an elderly woman who was seated on the other side of the empty seat, just one seat over, and he turned to her and said, I just can't understand how someone could buy such an expensive seat and, and, and not show up. You're four or five rows from the front. It's a packed house. There's not an empty seat in the entire house, and this person bought this seat and didn't fill it. It didn't even bother to give it to someone else or, or sell it. I just couldn't understand that. And the elderly woman turned to him and said, kind of wistfully, I know the person who bought that seat. It was my husband. We had planned for months and months to go to this showing of my fair lady. But he just recently passed away. And the man quickly said, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I, I, I didn't mean anything by it. You, you couldn't find someone else to join you, maybe a relative or a close friend? And she said, no, no, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> Sometimes your priorities can be way out of line. What are your priorities? Is it money? Yeah, that one takes a little while, a few seconds, you know. His funeral. Your priority is money. Uh, there's value in money, right? Money kind of is why we all work, so we can buy food and buy clothes and buy somewhere to live and provide for our family. Money's pretty important. Or maybe you like vacations. I've never been on a vacation like that. That's not my picture. But anyhow, a lot of people like vacations or recreation. That is a recreational sport I enjoy. But for some of you, it's not skiing, it's golf priorities, what is on your priority list? Uh, maybe it's not golf or skiing or vacations or money. Maybe you just really right now would like to have a house of your own. You're living maybe in an apartment or maybe like Stephanie and I at one point in a little garage apartment, 450 square feet, and you just can't wait to get a house of your own, a nice place for your family. That's really high on your priority list, on your value system. What do you value most? Or maybe it's climbing the corporate ladder. It's success, a reputation among your peers. Or maybe it's just simply family. My wife, my son, my daughter, they're incredibly precious to me. Incredibly important to me. Really high on my priority list. What is it for you? What is the one thing or two things that you value most in life? What do you treasure more than anything else? I got a little exercise I want you to do. I want you to write something down. There are pieces of paper in the pew in front of you and pencils, and, and you may have a pen on your person. And so get a piece of paper. There's little slips of paper that usually my son just scribbles all over. Hopefully yours aren't scribbled all over already. Grab a piece of paper, 
and, and write down on that piece of paper the two or three things on the top of your priority list. Now, now listen, not what you think I want to hear. Be honest with yourself and with God. What do you value most? What is most important to you in this life? What do you treasure more than anything else? What do you love? For me, this past week has actually been really difficult because health is really high on my priority list, how I feel when I wake up in the morning or when I'm trying to go to sleep at night. And I had a horrible wisdom tooth problem last Thursday. It probably had something to do with lots of candy. Last week, bad wisdom tooth problem, and I had to take Advil for five days straight to try to go to sleep at night. And I realized that I was losing my joy because I value how I feel very, very, very much. And when I'm not feeling good, I'm not very happy, and I tend to lose my satisfaction in life because my health is something I really value a lot. What is it for you? Two or three things you value most. This morning we're going to see three simple moves that that hinge on one another. The one change, the one change that hinges on the one purpose for which we are taking an air on this planet. And from that change and that purpose it leads us to the one action that is life-altering. Don't miss that. The one change that God brings that changes our lives, that leads us to the one purpose for which you and I are taking an air on this planet, and it leads us to one action that will change our lives and make us look radically different and have a totally different value list. But while you're writing down, do you have your ideas? you have your top priorities? All right. Here's the Apostle Paul's list. I want you to look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to spend the first portion of our time. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. His kind of starts off with pedigree. Not to be related with dog food or something like that. Pedigree is something that the Apostle Paul, before he was known as the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, the persecutor of the church, Pedigree was very high on his value system, really high on his priority list. Why? Let's look at Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6. He's warning the believers in Philippi here about people who are saying, you need to do thus and such. You need to follow the Old Testament law still and follow all the stipulations about right behavior that the Pharisees had developed and try to follow all those things still, even though Jesus Christ has been sacrificed for your sin. You need to, do the, you need to trust in Jesus, but all this other stuff as well in order to have the righteousness of God. And the Apostle Paul said, look it, look it, look it. I'm warning you about those people. They're, he actually calls them dogs. And then he says in verse 4, although I myself might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has the mind to put confidence in the flesh, I have far more. Because I was circumcised on the eighth day, the right day when Jewish boys were supposed to be circumcised, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, It's hard flipping pages when I'm holding the pointer. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. He he was born to the right family with the right name in the right tribe, and, and he was circumcised on the right day. He had the right pedigree. 
uh, something else that was also very important to him. Uh-oh. There we go. Education, perfection, also power. Paul valued education because in Acts 22, he talks about how he was educated under the school of Gamaliel. That would be like saying, by the way, I went to Harvard University, or I went to Yale for law school. He had the best education in the, in the area. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And because he had the right name and the right, he was from the right group and from the right people and he, and he did all the right things, he thought he'd achieve perfection according to the law. As to the righteousness which is in the law, he said, I was without fault, found blameless. The, the things, all the stipulations about right behavior, I did them all, Paul says. I did all of those things. It was without fault. And because he had the right pedigree and the right education he had the, and perfection, he also had power. In Acts chapter 9, it talks about how Saul, when he was running around, dragging Christians off to Jerusalem to put them in prison, to bind them up with chains because he thought he was doing the right thing. That's why it says, as to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. In order to do that, he had power to do that. And so he would just go to the high priest and get warrants for the arrest. Not anybody could just do that, right? But he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew, circumcised on the right day, with the right education, and he was without fault, so he had power to do what he felt was right. Even to go to the high priest and get letters signed so that he could go to Damascus and haul Christians back to Jerusalem. But then something changed. Something radically different happened. Jesus met Saul on the road to Damascus. And this is the one change that I'm talking about. The change that turned his life around. Look in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, this is chapter 3, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, not just some things, all things, and count them but, my translation here says rubbish, but an accurate translation is actually manure or dung. The stuff you want to step around when you see it in a yard, that's the word here, excrement, feces. That's the word. Paul said, I count all of all those, all that pedigree, all the education, all the perfection that I had according to the righteous stipulations of the law and the power, I count that as manure, as rubbish, as garbage, as utter loss. Why? So that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him, there he says it again, and in the power of His resurrection, in the fellowship of His sufferings, be conformed to His death. Here's the change that brought Saul to be known as Paul, the apostle who planted churches, who is this extraordinary missionary who went all around the Mediterranean proclaiming Jesus Christ. He moved from seeking self 
to knowing Christ. He knew that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus paid the penalty. He wiped out the guilt. He wiped out all of the sin. He forgave Paul, even though Paul thought he was perfect at one point. He knew that he wasn't perfect because in his heart there was still the stain of sin, there was still covetousness, there was still pride. You may be thinking this morning, I'm a pretty good person. I'm at church on Sunday morning. Who in our community is at church on Sunday morning these days? I'm wearing the right kind of clothes at church. I enjoy singing the songs. I'm doing all the right things. But is Jesus your treasure? Is he the one you value most? Is he more than just the top priority, but the center of your life? Or is he kind of marginal? And everything here is central. Paul had pedigree, power, perfection, education. The list goes on and on and on. And he counted all things, not just some of it, all things as loss, all things as worthy of throwing into the dumpster so that he might gain Christ, might know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that he may attain the resurrection, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, he writes. Paul had a hope, a certain hope, that when this life for him was done, it wasn't the end. Because for those in Jesus Christ, the end, death is not an end in itself. There's hope beyond this life. Paul had certainty for life to come and certainty and peace. And we're going to find out joy in this life. And he's in suffering right now. Here's the backstory. When Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he was in prison. He was under house arrest in Rome. There were people around him that were trying to make life difficult for him. So they went and, and were proclaiming the story of Jesus saying they were proclaiming the gospel, yet they were doing it for their own gain. There were some people who were proclaiming Christ out of a pure heart, but there were other people who were going around proclaiming Christ from an impure heart, were doing it so that they could be popular or have a little following of their own, and they were causing him a lot of frustration, it seems. But then he says, you know what? I will count it all joy. But wait a minute, he's in prison. I don't want to be in prison. Do you? I mean, it wasn't on my priority list. Suffering? That wasn't the top of my value list. But he's in prison. He's under house arrest, suffering. But he's happy. Why is that? Why is that? It's because he knows the one purpose for which he is on this earth. There's a guy named Jim Elliott who experienced this one change. Jim Elliott... Many of you probably know the name, but here's a little bit of the story. He was incredibly talented. He was uh, really great at academics, but he was also an excellent actor. So when he was 
at this parochial high school. He was constantly, persistently told by his teachers, hey, you need to pursue an acting career because you've got so much talent. You're so good at talking in front of people. You need to be an actor. Instead, he decided to go to Wheaton College. And when he went to Wheaton College, he was not only really good at academics, he was not only a great actor and speaker, but he was a champion wrestler. Some of you guys, young guys, are still wrestling in high school. Jim Elliott was an excellent college wrestler. But Jesus totally transformed Jim's life to where he decided to say this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim counted all things as loss, all things not worthy of his attention for the sake of following Jesus Christ, of gaining Christ, of knowing Christ, of being a part of the fellowship of his sufferings. That's how Jim decided to live, radically for Jesus Christ. And so after he graduated college, he got some more language training and then headed off to Ecuador to be a missionary with his wife, Elizabeth Elliot. Many of you know she wrote lots and lots of books retelling the story of what happened there. One called Through Gates of Splendor. Jim ended up dying in his 20s at the hands of the people he, just, he wanted to reach with the gospel. He was speared through and the other guys on the team. They were flying in trying to give gifts to these people and decided, all right, we've got a, these people in this tribe called the Aka Indians. They were known to kill anybody else from a different tribe. They were extremely vicious, violent, warrior people. And they were pretty sure, Jim was pretty sure they had never heard the gospel before, especially in their own language. And so his team decided to go in there and try to reach these people because Jesus Christ was better than all that Jim could get in his own plans as an actor or as a Greek professor. Both those opportunities were presented to him. He wanted to go out with Jesus Christ. But he died. He died. Jim died, and Paul's in prison. Jim's story served to be an inspiration to thousands of people to go to the mission field, the writings of his wife, but he still died. How could he be happy doing that? How could Paul be rejoicing when he's in prison? How could that be possible? It's because they knew the one purpose for their existence. They had moved from seeking self to knowing Jesus Christ. And they were satisfied because they had found Jesus to be better. Is Jesus better than everything on your value list to you? Do you treasure him more than anything this life can give or that death could take from you? Pastor John Piper often puts it this way, Christ is most glorified in us when he is more precious to us than all that this life can give or death can take. That comes really close to home for me. Because I value my life, I value my family, my children, my spouse. Is following on Jesus Christ worth sacrificing everything Jim Elliott and Apostle Paul thought so. Look to chapter 1 now. Chapter 1, here's where we're going to see how the one change leads to the one purpose. 
chapter 1, verses uh, 18 following. He picks up on that idea. These people are going around proclaiming Jesus Christ, some for personal gain. And he says, what then, in verse 18 of chapter 1, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and through the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, here's, here it is, here's the one purpose for which Paul lived his life and the one purpose for which all Christ followers are called to live their lives. Are you listening? For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, now verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted through my whole being, whether by life or by death. So whether I live or whether I die, I, my whole purpose, the reason why I'm taking an air on this planet is so that Christ is exalted, Christ is glorified, Christ is put on display. Here's the word behind it, megaluntheisatai. I just kind of love that. Megaluntheisatai is this idea that through the life and the death of the Apostle Paul, Jesus Christ would be put on display. Every once in a while, I'll get to Chicago, or we'll walk around a mall at Christmas time, and there are these stores with huge display windows. And they're trying to put a little idea of what is in the store out for display. They want you to know who they are, what they have, what they're all about, what they have for sale. And so they put words, they put pictures, they put products in front of these huge display windows. That's this idea that through our lives, people see who Jesus is, what he means to us, what he's all about, how good he is, how satisfied we are in him. When we live our lives, whether we live or whether we die, Jesus Christ is put on display. That's what it means to glorify. Sometimes the Sunday school answer is, we'll do all things for the glory of God, and it kind of breezes right over our heads, and we don't even know what we're talking about. It means that through our words, through our actions, through our thoughts, through the way we work, through the way we talk, every part of our life tells the world who God is and how satisfied we are in that God. That's how Paul lived. He moved from knowing, uh, seeking self to knowing Christ. And his purpose and your purpose, if you know Jesus Christ, if you have counted all things as lost for the sake of gaining him, your purpose is to glorify Christ through your life and through your death, every part of your life. Because when you do that, that's when he's glorified. That's when he's made known. It all hinges on verse 21. But before we get there, I want you to hear another story. This is a guy named Hudson. We named our son after him. When this picture was taken, he was a bright medical student in London had all the potential to have European prosperity, to be a doctor, to have success. He had education. His upbringing was good. When he was a young man, he actually for a time really decided he didn't really want to believe in God or couldn't believe in God. But then the change happened. Jesus became everything 
to Hudson Taylor. So he finished up med school and decided to go to China. And when he got to China to share and proclaim Jesus Christ, he realized that a lot of these missionaries from Europe, used to European prosperity, were living in palatial homes, having all of these four, all of the Chinese people be their servants because the, the, the British pound was worth so much in China. And so they're living like rich, opulent lives. And Hudson says, you know what? I'm not going to live like that. I, Jesus has called me to glorify him through my life and my death, so I'm going to go where you guys aren't going. I'm going where no Western missionary has gone with Christ. I'm going to go inland. I'm going to go inland where these people have never heard about Jesus Christ. And he founded China Inland Mission, now called OMF. And they're still, through his legacy, here he is as an old guy, the beard, I tell you. He decided to adopt Chinese garb so that he could reach the people more effectively, learn their language. Missionaries call it contextualization. The same thing needs to happen here, by the way. He was an innovator, and he went where people weren't going because he didn't count his life as something to be worth, as something to be afraid of. So Hudson Taylor went and founded China Inland Mission, OMF. They're still sending missionaries all over the globe to proclaim Christ, the one purpose for which Hudson Taylor existed, the one purpose for which you and I exist, because he lives satisfied in Christ alone. That's the one action. Verse 21, I want you to look at this long and hard. Verse 21, because... We say, okay, I want Jesus Christ to be exalted, to be displayed through my life. It all hinges on verse 21. This is how it happens. For to me, this is how. Because this is the reason why I know that Christ will be exalted through my whole being is because for me to live, Christ, and to die, gain. The word is isn't even in the Greek. It's just to live Christ and to die, gain. That's what it's all about. He's what it's all about. Christ is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's what John Piper said. Or if you're a mathematician or engineer, it goes like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And when Jesus plus nothing equals everything to you, people will see that he's your everything. You guys like complicated math problems? I don't know. I think I might have goofed that up. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. And the Apostle Paul knew that when for him to live, Christ, everything's about Christ, and to die would be gain because then he'd go to be with Christ. And that's how he knew that when he lived like that, when he was totally satisfied in Christ, like Jim Elliot, like Hudson Taylor, when he was totally satisfied in Christ alone, Christ would be exalted through his entire being. Have you taken that step? Have you moved from seeking self to knowing Christ? Have you taken that step to glorify Christ through your life and your death? Are you willing to say that this morning? And are you willing to say today, I'm going to live satisfied in Christ alone every single day? Is he real to you? I want you to listen to the story of a woman named Christine from Detroit. Christine from Detroit 
found that Jesus Christ could be all satisfying. I want you to listen carefully. Content? No. I would not say that I was content. The best words I could use to describe me were lost and desperate. Well, I grew up in Detroit in the 1970s. My parents were divorced when I was in third grade. We moved around a lot, so I never developed close friendships. We didn't go to church. And so by the time I was about 14, my life had become pretty empty and lonely. And so I started looking into uh, relationships with guys and to drugs and alcohol. I ran away a lot and just got into all kinds of trouble. I was just, I was a wreck and I was starting to really question, you know, what's the point? What's it all about? Why even bother living? I was still partying, but I had found that the partying life was not satisfying. It was not bringing me the, the contentment that I wanted. And then finally I had this long-term boyfriend and I thought, that's where it's finally going to happen. This emptiness is finally going to be fulfilled in him, but you know, after a few years of being in a relationship with him, I still, there still was something missing. That started me on about a three-year search. I really was asking the question and I looked around to different religions, different worldviews, even scientific theories, to see if there was something that it could explain um, what life is all about. Christianity to me seemed like just truly a religion for the unthinking masses who just grew up believing their parents told them there was a God and we happen to live in America so it's you know, got, got to be the Christian God if you live in America. By the time I was about 20 I, I met a guy at a bar which is where I hung out at all the time, and um, he shared with me that the Bible was true and that Christianity really was what I was looking for. He shared his story, how he had been involved in the occult and how God had rescued him out of that. And he took me to some friend's house, and one night we stayed up um, all night long reading the Bible, reading from the book of John. And I realized these stories were real. The things that he did and said were true. I, I felt I was reading history on one hand, and on the other hand, the most mystical story I had ever read. And that satisfied both things that I had been looking for, the emptiness and loneliness that, that was a spiritual longing, and the intellectual kind of making sense of what was real or, or not. I realized that that Jesus loved me and that he died on the cross for me to save me from my sins and to allow me to have a relationship with him and a relationship with God, I believed. And um, it's been a, an adventure ever since, a roller coaster ride. The ups and downs of the Christian life aren't easy, but having the presence of God with me every day has brought me a deep contentment and uh, an abiding peace and joy uh, and it's like nothing else I've ever experienced. My two-word story, content, content.
complete satisfaction in Christ brings total contentment in life and in death. But I've got to be honest with you. I sign all the end of my emails and letters, articles, in Christ alone, Michael Bresnah. But it's more a reminder for me than it is a statement to the reader. I need to remind myself every day that Jesus Christ needs to be everything to me, that I can be completely satisfied in him, the peace that I have in him, his presence with me every day, that is enough. And when I remind myself that everything in life for me is Christ alone, that daily walk brings contentment. It also deals with my sin. It changes how I reckon with sin, how I deal with issues in my life. Because when I wake up and when you wake up, if we decide to say, in Christ alone do I live, then when greed or profanity or alcoholism or, or immorality or dishonesty or, or anger or violence starts creeping in and we sense, okay, I'm about ready to snap here. We say, no, lust you can't have me, anger you can't have me, profanity you can't have me, violence you won't have me because Jesus is better and I've seen him this morning. I've been with him today. So I'm challenging you and I'm challenging myself to live satisfied in Christ alone because he is better He can change a person like Christine from Detroit. He can radically change Hudson Taylor. He can radically change Jim Elliott, and he has radically changed the Apostle Paul, and he can radically change your life. If you grab a hold to that one purpose for which you exist on this planet is to glorify Christ through your life and through your death, and you realize that only through him can you be forgiven of your sin. That only through his cross, what he did on the cross for us, to take the penalty for our sin, and to die in our place, and to rise from the dead, when you place your trust in him, that's when new life begins. That's when you can start in this walk of knowing Christ, and being found in him, being completely satisfied in him, to walk with his presence, to walk with his peace. For some of you here this morning, maybe... You've never taken that step to move from seeking self to knowing Christ. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I rejoice in the wonderful gifts of life, my my wife, my children, fun, fellowship, recreation. But is Jesus Christ central? I'm asking myself this question and you this question. Is Jesus Christ central in your life or is he just marginal and everything else is central? Maybe for some of you, though, you've never even taken that step to say, I'm going to cling on to the cross of Christ and count him my everything so that I can gain him and know him and be found in him and have hope of the resurrection. And God invites you this morning. I invite you this morning to know Jesus Christ. It's a simple step of recognizing your desperate, complete need for him and trusting in him and turning to him alone for salvation, for righteousness, for forgiveness, and for satisfaction.
Not in the stuff this life gives, but in what only he can give. I invite you. And for the rest of you with me, if you've taken that step, here's the challenge every single day. Look at that priority list that I had you write out at the beginning of the service. What's on there? Remind yourself, if you put Christ at the top, write that down every day. Every day. That he alone is your satisfaction. And when you do that, you'll walk in the purpose for which you're taking in air on this planet. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much for your mercy upon us. I thank you, O God, for the three years that you've given to me to be with these people, the opportunity to preach your word, to teach your truth. But I pray, O God, that this morning would be a turning point for some in this room. They've never taken that step to move from seeking self to knowing Christ. And I pray that today you would draw them to salvation and peace and satisfaction in Christ alone, your Son. I pray, O God, for the rest of us who are in that journey, begun that journey, I pray that every day of our lives, whether we live or whether we die, we would find Christ to be everything and that we'd count death even as something worth losing because we'd gain Christ and we'd be willing to lay down everything to be on your mission and to find satisfaction in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to sing.